to this edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 152. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. Today's Bat Book is City of Crime by writer David Lapham. This covers the issues of uh, Detective Comics number 800 through 808 and then picks up again at 811 through 814. Uh, Chris, what do you tell us a little bit about the background of this book? Well, Jerry, you and the listeners might want to get comfy because there's quite a bit to unpack here. Yeah. Now, as Jerry said, City of Crime is a story that originally ran in Detective Comics numbers 800 through 808 and numbers 811 through 814. Now, do you notice a gap there? I couldn't remember what was covered in Detectives uh, 809 and 810, so I had to look it up, and it was parts one and three of the war crime story arc. Uh. Yeah. Now, uh, the first chapter of our tale uh, was covered dated January 2005. Last chapter was covered dated February 2006. So we've got quite a span of time here. Yeah. Uh, the cover art for these issues uh, from 800 on was provided by David Lapham himself. The cover price going back then was a mere $2.50. Wow. <laughs> now, on, on a side note, uh, you and I both noticed that some of these issues in the early chapters also had serialized backup stories that had such characters as the Barker, mm-hmm. uh, had a circus backdrop. Uh, there was also a Clayface story. We had an Alfred story and a Killer Croc story. Mm-hmm. All of which we won't cover here. Jerry and I are only going to talk about uh, the main story, City of Crime. Right. Here's a note to keep in mind. City of Crime comes on the heels of a massive story arc called War Games. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to try to avoid a huge topic drift here and in the interest of time. I won't recap War Games here in its entirety, but it should be addressed for a discussion stake because some of the events are touched upon in City of Crime. We have the aftermath of War Games, which resulted in a lot of fallout in the bad cast. Here's some spoilers ahead. Uh, the character of Orpheus was killed by Black Mask. Oracle was forced to blow up her headquarters and Barbara Gordon leaves Gotham. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Gordon is not the police commissioner at this time. And, spoiler, was tortured by Black Mass and subsequently died from her injuries. But but it was later revealed that Leslie Tompkins faked her death. Uh Yeah, I I had to remember all that because it had been so long. And now we've got this this rebirth stuff where everything's sort of cleaned up and we've we've moved on. Uh, City of Crime was written by David Lapham. I first encountered Lapham way back in the early 90s with work he did on Valiant Comics, and I don't know if anybody out there remembers those. They were pretty popular at the time. He did work on Magnus Robot Fighter, Shadow Man. He did the first dozen or so issues of Harbinger. And Lapa may be best known for his work on the Eisner Award-winning series Stray Bullets. And he put that out under his own publishing company, El Capitan. Uh, Ramon Box, Nathan Massengill, and Jason Wright on colors round out our creative team. Now, I have to either praise Wright for an outstanding job or condemn him for making this tale as haunting as it is. City of Crime has been released as a trade paperback. And that's what I have. So, Jerry, are you... You're going to dive into the plot. I, I wish you luck. This is this is going to be uh, dig deep, dig deep. Here we go. So this is 13 issues of plot, and I'll uh, everybody at home uh, get a comfortable chair and uh, sit back. So now it shouldn't come to a surprise to anybody, but Gotham's a pretty violent place. There's a lot of bad stuff going on all the time. Batman does what he can to clean things up. He's out every night trying to trying to make things better, but he can't fix everything. Uh, bad things happen. Uh, at one particular uh, black tie party, Bruce Wayne is um, socializing and meets a young Hattie McNeil. Uh, she's a 14-year-old child of a divorced but very wealthy parent. So she's you know wealthy and can do anything she wants. 
uh, out in the world. And she's very flirtatious with older men who, and she's a pretty girl, people respond to her. So she tries to use her charms on Bruce, but Bruce is not interested and turns her down, which seems to crush the young girl. Yeah, it's kind of a creepy scene there. I wonder how often that happens to Bruce, but uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that was uh, that was kind of an uncomfortable scene. Uh, now, it's particularly sad because two weeks later, Hattie is found dead from a drug overdose. And the, the memory of her and kind of her sad predicament uh, sticks with Bruce and Batman, you know, he carries it around with her throughout this, uh, this whole story arc. Now, across town, a woman has a cooking accident. Uh, her building catches on fire and it's a big kind of building-wide conflagration. Batman and Tim Drake, uh, as Robin, arrive on the scene and save as many people as they can. But they can't save everybody. There are uh, six pregnant women, and they had been, uh, they were killed in the fire, and they were being kept captive in one of the apartments. So, you know, that seemed like a very strange situation, and they realized that something is going on here. At the Iceberg Lounge, uh, Penguin hears about the fire, and he's worried. He thinks that his baby adoption ring has been exposed, and he calls for a cleaner to take care of things, to clean up the mess. He doesn't want to upset a group, a mysterious group, that he calls the Friends. We meet someone else, Marlene Wells, and she's a mom, and she hears about this fire, and she hears about the uh, the pregnant girls being held captive, and she's concerned because she has a missing pregnant daughter. And she goes to the police station and speaks with a Sergeant Frank Ivers. Uh, Ivers is a, a GCPD cop, and but he's a dirty cop. You know, he's kind of a tough on the streets kind of guy. But uh, their conversation is overheard, and now uh, the story of the missing girl hits the news. And the upset mother, she goes on to the news, you know, begging Gotham, please help me find my daughter. And in other breaking news, the friends are not Ross, Rachel, and Chandler. I'm sorry, Jerry. Go, just, just, just go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Breaking on GNN. Yes. So uh, so the story of uh, the pregnant girl, um, you know, the, the women being held captive and uh, Cassie Wells, the missing girl, uh, is big news event. It's all over the place. And uh, this is a big problem. For the people that are, you know, creating this baby adoption ring. So, you know, the, apparently the people behind it are called the Friends. And Mr. Freeze is part of the cleanup crew. And he pays some of the people that are running this organization a visit, uh, running the adoption ring a visit. And this is the cleaner that Penguin set, sent. So... Batman then uh, visits Marlene Wells, her kind of dirty Gotham apartment, and um, Marlene tells him about uh, Cassie, her missing daughter, and how she really just wants to create a situation to protect her eight-year-old son, Robbie. So Batman, in an adorable scene, sits at her kitchen table and has a nice little cup of tea. <laughs> and how cute is that? It I is know. a nice moment, you know, amid this uh, squalor and... Uh, Make no mistake, folks, Jerry isn't really underselling this. This is about as, uh, I thought my place was a train wreck, but this this really makes it, uh, goes to a really, really, really bad looking, uh, dingy. And seeing Batman sitting at her little kitchen table having a cup of tea, you know. Yes. <laughs> it's really cute. Mm-hmm. So, you know, meanwhile, as uh, as Batman is enjoying his oolong, 
Mr. Freeze is going around Gotham, and he's freeze-drying members of the pregnant girl racket. So uh, one guy, he freezes him, but he's not quite dead. So uh, Freeze also, as he's doing this, finds a woman, a young woman, at one of the shelters. And instead of killing her, finds a connection with her and takes her away. Now, Penguin finds out about this from the not-quite-dead guy, and uh, he realizes that this is a big problem. Uh, Having Mr. Freeze uh, leaving somebody alive is going to be trouble. So he calls in the ventriloquist, Arnold Wesker, to finish the job. So uh, we now go to another apartment in Gotham. We see a man that has kind of very um, mild features. He's almost featureless. And he's got one of Penguin's goons tied up. And he takes a cast of his face. And then he uses this cast to make his own features look like this guy. So looking like one of Penguin's goons, he goes to Penguin's office. And he's allowed in. And he tries to assassinate Penguin. But he's shot before he can kill him. But instead of, like, you know, blood and guts and head matter, uh, there's just dirt that comes out where his brain should be. So he's made of dirt. and uh, But, you know, it doesn't matter. He's got a bomb, and he blows up the Iceberg Lounge in a giant explosion. Which brings up a question, Jerry. I wonder if yeah. uh, who, who would take out insurance on the Iceberg Lounge? I mean, just, <laughs> you know, you, you know, just uh, who would underwrite that policy? I, I'm sorry. It would be I, tough. It would be yes, tough to find yes. a, uh, somebody to, to handle that. Indeed. But this this was a blast. Well, that proportion as yeah. depicted here, yeah. Yeah, the whole top of the building comes gets blown off. So uh, now, Mr. Freeze, he has taken this girl, this uh, pregnant girl, to a meat freezer, of course, and uh, he's found a priest that he wants to marry them. So the girl reminds Freeze of his late wife, Nora. And as Freeze goes out to look for a wedding gown for her, of course, right, uh, a group of Wesker's men uh, bomb the bridal shop. And Freeze kind of fights them off and blasts them with his ice beam. Uh, and then Batman arrives. And uh, Batman's looking for Freeze's girl. He's heard that she's missing. He thinks that it might um, be uh, Mrs. Wells's daughter. But before he can get the location of where the girl is, a sharpshooter uh, shoots a hole in Mr. Freeze's suit. So that's, of course, very dangerous for Freeze. Uh, and another group of these masked weird guys closes in on Batman uh, and uh, and the injured Freeze. Uh, Batman, Batman fights them off, and he takes one of the masks off them. But it's raining, and the guy's face and body melt into mud. Uh, in the rain. So apparently these guys are made out of dirt too. So when uh, Batman's done, uh, Mr. Freeze is gone. So we we move over to the mayor's mansion. So uh, the mayor has been taking political advantage of Mrs. McNeil's daughter's story. So he's doing photo ops with the mother and, uh, you know, just getting on the news. So he's using it uh, for his re-election campaign. But he gets some advice that if the mother is somehow implicated in the girl's disappearance, it might cause a real political problem for him. So they decide to call in their quote-unquote friends in the GCPD to kind of help them tone down the publicity. So the friends are back. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm reserving comment here. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to make <laughs> yeah, a Ross and Rachel Yes, joke, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, nothing's coming. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. So uh, 
freeze goes back to the meat freezer to cool off, right? He he take he makes it really really cold, and he takes off his suit just to get as cold as he can. Uh, this is causing a problem for the priest and the young girl who he has trapped there. Uh, the priest is able to start a fire. Uh, freeze kills him, and you know hugs the girl, calling her Nora. Oh Nora, I love you. Uh, but it turns out the girl won't let go, and her body heat uh, starts to kill Freeze. So Batman arrives and finds that the girl is Michelle Blake. It's not Cassie, uh, Mrs. Wells' daughter, but someone else. Well, he saved one, just not the one he was looking for. Mm-hmm. So we're back to Sergeant Ivers. So his partner, Detective Elliot Lynch, are in a car. And Ivers realizes that Lynch is one of the friends, uh, or one of, he calls them those things, uh, presumably one of the dirt people. His... Uh, thinks his partner has been replaced by this evil doppelganger that looks just like him. So he, sh- he realizes he should have guessed this because the new Lynch is taller and broader, right? He's physically changed. So, you know, what was I thinking? He is also finds he's suddenly good friends with other officers. And Ivers notices that there seems to be strange new friendly relationships between people in the GCPD that really shouldn't know each other. Um, so, you know, he, he realizes that something's going on. Uh, Lynch takes Ivers to a crime scene apartment um, where they find Cassie Wells and her boyfriend lying dead in a pool of blood. So they believe they find Cassie. Yeah, a really, really nasty scene there, too. It's really ugly, yeah. Yeah. So the Batcopter uh, closes in on a small ship uh, off the coast of Gotham and they find that Arnold Wesker, the ventriloquist, and his goons have been shot up pretty good. Arnold has a really tough time in some of these stories. Um, Batman tries to get Wesker to tell him what happened, but Scarface, you know, Wesker's um, uh, ventriloquist doll, says that he knows where the attackers live, the park. So we we have a clue about what's going on here. So Batman hears about the discovery of Cassie's body and visits the morgue and finds that it's not really Cassie. It's a a dirt replica of Cassie. So he makes his way to the Wells' house to tell Mrs. Wells, but Ivers and Lynch are already there, and they're telling her of Cassie's death. But as Batman approaches the apartment, he's being attacked by these mask-wearing creatures. So Lynch looks out the window and sees Batman on his way fighting... uh, uh, fighting these creatures off and realizes kind of, uh, you know, the gig is up. Uh, so he forces Mrs. Wells to try to poison her family. Uh, but Ivers and Batman uh, are able to stop him, but not before uh, Ivers gets shot in the gut. And Mrs. Wells turns around and kills uh, Lynch. And again, it's uh, it, it appears anyway to be just dirt. Not, um, he's not a real human. The masked attackers are continuing to multiply, though, and they keep coming. So Batman is trying to fight them off, but there are too many of them. However, uh, Penguin arrives, not dead, after the destruction in the Iceberg Lounge. Uh, His insurance agent, I'm sure, is pretty happy about that. But he he arrives in a helicopter gunship and kind of mows down all the bad guys. Batman asks him where the real Cassie Wells is, but all Penguin says is to look at Crown Point near the park. And look for a man who smiles too much. So we have the park again, and we have Crown Point neighborhood coming up. So Bruce makes his way to the Crown Point neighborhood, and he's 
going to try to figure out how he can fit in to the neighborhood so he can solve the mystery. It's a very kind of a closed-minded, crime-ridden area. It's very crummy neighborhood, and there's a lot of you know gossiping on the street and persistent beggars and fistfights all over the place. Well, gee, Jerry, don't oversell it there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not a real no, estate agent. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, but no, to, yeah, this is this is about as bad as a depiction of an urban dwelling setting that I, I can recall in comics for some time, and I just yeah. have forgotten how rough it was. But they uh, really, this is just as this the pits and the dregs of an urban environment is right here. It really is, and it goes on for quite a while. In the, uh, it, it's a full issue, really, of this. Uh, he find one of the you know it's not all terrible even though people are um, kind of mixed good and bad and one of the top guys in the neighborhood is this guy Rafi Musakanian so he's a big guy he's a, he's the head of the construction union down at the waterfront and he's committed to his neighborhood although he doesn't think too well of most of the residents but you know even so he uh, as a community leader he has a certain amount of kindness to him too he gives a local vagrant a $20 bill for example uh, he's also involved in a lot of shady dealings in the city including some contact with what's someone called the friendly man or the smiling man now it turns out that the local vagrant that got the $20 bill from Rafi is Bruce Wayne in disguise, which is a kind of a kind of a funny little scene in the in the comic. He realizes that Rafi's the man, the way that he can get into the Crown Point crime syndicate. So he heads down to the waterfront and he's hired in as the new crane man called Donnie on the construction <laughs> project. <laughs> yeah, Donnie, come on down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh Bruce takes some liberties that he shouldn't on the construction site. And the guys take offense, and he's hung and chained upside down on a crane overnight. But when the guys come back in the morning, Bruce's gotten loose, and he's having a cup of coffee, and he's saying how great his back feels now. So Rafi decides to show him who's boss. So he decides to fight you know, Donnie, and Bruce lets the big man win. But... He does well enough in the fight to earn his respect. So they go out for beers, and Donnie invites him to stay at his home. So they have Rafi's wife, who's been obviously being abused, um, makes them dinner. And Bruce says he's tired and goes to bed, but really he heads outside and does some detectiving. So Robin is in the hospital, and he's watching over the ventriloquist and Scarface. And... Detective Frank Ivers is also in the hospital a few uh, floors away, and he's worried, Ivers is worried, that the dirt men are everywhere. Everything, he's afraid of these dirt men. So he runs around the hospital, and he pokes people with needles to make sure they bleed and aren't covered, aren't really made out of dirt. So Robin hears the commotion and stops him, but Frank explains his concern, and Robin realizes, yeah, we know there's something really weird going on here. So he kind of uh, believes Frank. And when some phony cops come to finish off the ventriloquist, Robin is ready for him and has a some kind of a bomb that um, you know does does a number on the fake cops. And then he calls in Jim Gordon, as Chris said before, he's no longer Commissioner Gordon, but he calls him in for some assistance. So Bruce uh, Bruce heads out, uh, making believe he's uh, asleep, but then he heads out and he follows Rafi, and he sees that he meets with a man that smiles too much. And after the meeting, this smiling man heads to Raleigh Park. And Bruce goes to follow, 
but is unable to cross the street. There's something is going on. There's some kind of uh, a mental thing happens. It's anxiety or something. So something very strange is going on in the park. In fact, the next day, a homeless guy comes out of the park and he's throwing up something strange. He's very agitated. And to everybody he meets, he spreads this craziness to. So the madness spreads all around the neighborhood. And people shooting each other. People are fighting. People are committing suicide. And not even uh, Rafi and Bruce are immune. They also start having their own um, fantasies about uh, terrible things happening. So Rafi nearly kills the vagrant that started the whole thing. And the vagrant goes to the hospital. But even at the hospital, uh, the madness continues. Great job describing that too, Jerry. Because this is this is madness on the nth level. I mean, this is like chaos, yeah. panic, uh, lights going out. You can just almost feel the fear as you're reading this and as you're describing it. So, really? yeah. it, it can't yeah, it can't be understated. Yeah. So Bruce tries to get back into the park, and he sees more terrible visions of the death of his parents and other things, and he collapses, and he's taken back to Rafi's house and has some insane fever dreams, and. He wakes up and he decides, look, he's going to take Rafi's wife away from this abusive man. But he, Rafi finds them leaving and um, tries to stop them, but Bruce knocks him out cold. He changes into his Batman suit and he says, okay, now I can face this. So he heads back into the park and he's able to withstand the crazy visions. And he makes his way to a tower in the park. Uh, somewhere near the park anyway, that's under construction and there's an underground compound that has remnants of old Gotham and some kind of infrastructure that nobody knows Gotham has. And there's a church uh, underground with this strange boiling sacred pool. And nearby there's also a room that an obviously crazy man that calls himself or at least his group, he calls him the, the body. And Batman finds a mask there and realizes that he's found the room, he's found the home of the Smiling Man. So also at the church is a group of uh, dirty kind of men that are led by a fiendish looking man, which is apparently the Smiling Man without his mask. He's really kind of ghoulish and gruesome looking. So they're going to put Rafi, they've got Rafi, and they're going to put him in the sacred pool to make him one of them, make him one of uh, these creatures. But Batman interrupts them, uh, stops the stops the ceremony, and the Smiling Man asks Batman if he wants to know where Cassie Wells is. Uh, Batman says that he already knows. And the Smiling Man, in a, uh unusual twist, pulls off his own head, so falls down dead. So that's an odd little moment. At the hospital, Robin and the gang are under attack by all these masked dirt men, and everyone in the hospital is touched by this madness. There's just chaos going on in the hospital now. And um, they're going on a killing spree, suicide sprees, and Gordon, Robin, and Scarface, they're all attacking each other. The hospital's surrounded by the masked dirt men. Batman makes his way to the hospital, and he distracts the creatures, and he leads them all away, so they all get away from the hospital. Ivers finds the vagrant from the park, who's kind of the core of this madness, and uh, who's in the hospital, and he kills the vagrant, and the madness ends, but Frank realizes that now he's just, you know, gone beyond the call of duty. He kills himself. 
So Batman leads, the, leads all these crazies to the top of this building that's under construction in the park, and he blows it up, and he kills them all. And the blast floods the church with water. It's right by the water. And it floods the church and the sacred pool, and it destri- destroys all of that, all of the um, kind of infrastructure of the Smiling Man. So all of the people that the imposters, the people that have been impos- um, making believe that they were Gotham residents, they all uh, crumble and die. So Batman finally goes to Mrs. Wells's house, and she tells her that he knows that she is the one that killed Cassie because she got pregnant. She had all these hopes and dreams for her, and Cassie, Cassie got pregnant and kind of betrayed her and killed her and put her body in the furnace. So as that ends, the sun sets on Gotham, which is a city of crime. Woohoo! Applause, applause. <laughs> thank you. Wow! Yeah. Roll, roll, roll credits. Roll credits. Wow! Yeah. Nice yeah. job with that. Well, thank you. Thank you oh, for your comments. Yeah. So, what did you think about it? Well, uh, this is about as dark and gritty as a Batman story can get. Now, some bad fans may see that and take that as the highest form of praise, but some may not. Uh, let's get a few things out of the way that might need to be said. This is absolutely not a story for children. This is a mature reader's comic book by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the story is filled with many disturbing images. We have scenes of death, drug use, mm-hmm. violence, and it's all graphically depictive. Yeah. It's not pretty, and it's not supposed to be. Um, I'm trying to think when I uh, initially read this, I thought it was memorable. Yes, is it a good story? This might be a part that's open to some debate. Now, I know some fans that I chat with uh, put this maybe on their top five list. Um, yeah, or even contend that this might even be their favorite fo- you know, Batman story all- of all time. You know, that's fair enough. But I, I can think of a few Batman stories that I put ahead of this and recommend it to a new fan or a longtime Batman fan. Mm-hmm. This just uh, wasn't my cup of tea on the subsequent reading. I don't think I liked it as much when I initially read this when it came out in, uh, what, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was rereading this, this was a story I could only initially take in some small doses. But, you know, to be fair, I knew I was going to review this publicly for the podcast, so to be fair, I reread it again, and I enjoyed it a little more slightly. Uh, there are some moments that are very effective. Yeah. We've got a moment where Batman goes uh, getting intel from a thug, or there was a one one scene uh, where he goes to a bartender, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the lights go out, and they come back up again. And there was some very effective storytelling. I agree. But for me, I thought there was just a little too much prose, and I got really bogged down by some narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh it, to so much story, you know. You and I have read a lot of comics. We we see this exposition with these thought boxes, for lack of a more professional comic book term. Do, do you think uh, writers use this style of narrative effectively in a storytelling method? Well, I think it, you know when you when you see a movie, there are so few movies that use voiceovers, right? That that narration that use it effectively. And I think it's used in uh, comic books a lot more than it's used in movies. So I think that it's a crutch that sometimes is great, but more often than not is uh, to be avoided. I think this is a weird, this is a hard one to break down, this story. I I totally agree with you about some of the uh, moments. There are some great moments in uh, in this story. But there's also, I had to leave out 
there are 13 issues, and I had to lead out, leave out so much in my synopsis. Whole characters, whole storylines, uh, groups of people that just really were introduced, but didn't really make too much of an effect on the story. And it was a very internal story, like you say, with the, with the thought boxes. Um, what did you think about that? Did you think that was overdone here? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I think I knew where the author was trying to go at some points, but at, at moments I thought uh, there were certain elements where it became redundant. Um, there were some effective uses of it. There was uh, at one chapter we got a uh, we got to revisit Arkham and some of the uh, origins and some background with uh, the founding of Arkham Asylum, yeah. uh, its inception, what have you. I thought that was really well done, and uh, some some writers don't necessarily. But, put that much care or thought into that mm-hmm. and I was appreciative of some of that the other points though just way too overdone for me yeah. um, one thing I was going to ask do you think this how would you rank this compared to the first story we reviewed uh, that we initially spoke with because uh, did you enjoy this better or did you enjoy what we reviewed first better uh, there are a lot of similarities right both stories uh have young pregnant women whose deaths kind of spark everything. I think that one was a, a tighter story. This story, the plot was tighter. This story was more sprawling. I think this was my first time reading this one. I think that, and have uh, my experience in reading this was that I knew that I was ultimately going to have to write a synopsis about it. And there are a lot of characters and scenes and things that ultimately didn't make any difference to the core plot. So I was a little frustrated with this as I was first reading it. Whereas I wasn't quite as frustrated with uh, Broken City. But it seemed to me that this was also very literary. Like, if you're reading a Stephen King book, right, you know how he has these chapters where he introduces a character, you know, hey, it's Joe Smith, and he owns a drugstore, and he has problems with his bills and his wife, and they go on, and they create this character, and the, and the monster comes in and kills him. So, Jerry, yeah, and I've got a confession. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reading a comic book, but I'm... Uh-huh. Reading something I like, but yeah. uh, you know when I'm going through it initially, and, and I'm one or two chapters in, I felt like I was lost in a place here or there. I was confused. Were you confused with with Was there too much going on with uh, with, with with plot elements and people coming in and out? And uh, did you find any bit of this confusing as you were going along? I definitely did. And okay, good. That was just me. Okay, no, not at all. And I, I didn't know who was important and who wasn't. Right? What am I supposed to be paying attention to? The, the main story is pretty simple. Right? There's a, an adoption ring, and there is a, uh, you know, it's exposed, and Penguin and Wesker and Mr. Freeze are on the, kind of the front line of cleaning it up, but they aren't doing it fast enough, so the real bad guys, the, the friends or the body, they come in and they try to kill everybody, and Batman 
Fixed. Yeah, I got lost there too with the body, you know, coming in, and I didn't know what this was supposed to be, and who, uh, yeah, that I, it took took me a while to settle in. I I just don't know if I was in the right frame of mind reading this, or in a subsequent reading did I did I seem to grasp it more? But I just think on the initial reading, I shouldn't have been as lost as as I thought I should have been as a reader. I wonder too. You said you read it uh, when it first came out, and I I was kind of interested in a lot of these scenes, uh, a lot of the issues. For example, that one where Bruce is uh, impersonating a vagrant. It really you have the first page as Bruce and the last page as Bruce, and the whole rest of it is about uh, Rafi. How did you feel in those as reading those issues? Uh, were you like, is this even a Batman comic? Yeah, yeah, I, I got that. It's just like, well, if I'm not liking this, I'll you know, I'll just see what's going over on the Batman title at the time. I know, you know, things tend to get cyclical in, in comic books where I'm enjoying one arc in progress more than another per se that's going on at the time. Uh, this, I think, I was more com- compounded with the fact that this was um, this came out monthly, and this was. Uh, I, I think I was once I picked it up at the time. I was. It took me a while to get back into it because I had forgotten what happened in the previous months prior to that. And then where am I at in the story at this given time? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we could have used some editor notes. I don't think we needed to necessarily get bogged down with um, you know little. Uh, Actions with captions, but you know what was really good with Marvel. It was like, well, see the events over in you know Amazing Spider-Man 182 for if you want to see what happened or remember this happened over here. I think that we there was just the the uh, anyone picking this comic up for the first time I think is owed just some sort of little filler or background or some editorial ship with saying. Uh, Barbara, uh, Barbara left Gotham. The right. you know the, the clock tower exploded. Orpheus died over here. We we have so much periphery going on that um, it, it is so easy to get lost in. And I I think I felt lost initially at the time. Mm-hmm. Some events were were a little more fresh than others, but yeah, I I think this would have been read, better off to read in a one sitting as opposed to just a month by month basis. Yeah, I think as a trade, now that I've been through it and I understand the story, I think I would appreciate it more if I read it again in a trade, you know, cover to cover, not on a month-by-month basis, not thinking I have to uh, write a synopsis about this. I think it would be a better experience. But even so, I still don't know who the Smiling Men are, uh, what do they want, What's this madness that's infecting everybody? It's just kind of a cipher that's never really explained. Yeah, and how much did that bother you, or did you get to the point of even caring? By the time I got to the end, uh, I didn't. I saw what was happening, and I was a little frustrated with it. And I didn't. It was really only after I finished reading it, and as I was kind of collecting my thoughts about it, that I realized I didn't know anything about the bad guys. Mm hmm. Yeah, same here. Uh, what did you think of uh, Mrs. Wells uh, being the one that killed Cassie? I mean, did you see that coming? I, I didn't. I don't know how Batman figured it out, but it must. Yeah, have same been. here. Yeah, it, maybe it was over their cup of tea. He he realized what was going on. Um, there was no clues that I saw, other than she was a little bit of an unpleasant woman. But you know, that doesn't mean you're a killer. I guess. I was looking for means and motive, and I guess if it was in front of me, I just didn't spot it. Yeah. It's, so, again, it's like a detective story that 
you're missing the main clues and char- it, it's almost like just shock value. They're trying to, oh, it's her. Yeah, and it got wrapped up pretty neat, like like the Dark City, where it was just uh, here we are. You know, while that ending was a little more ambiguous, we got we got some uh, something a little more firm and 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 a definitive killer here. But uh, right. I, I just how it was just a little too wrapped up neatly in in the end for me with yeah, with that. Yeah, I agree. The the kind of ending just happened so suddenly. Yes, yes. Right. Here I am it, 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 reading twelve issues, and all of a sudden it just wraps up. Yeah, and it didn't have that emotional weight or impact. It could have happened if it was maybe told in a different way. I, I, I think I should have felt more impacted by that ending, but somehow I wasn't. I think I was more drained. This is a very draining read. Agreed, agreed. And one thing, it's kind of off the off the topic, but what did you think of Tim Drake as Robin? Jerry, I'm glad you brought that up because I thought there were some instances of this where he was just totally out out of character. Yeah. There was some there was some innuendo made with with him and Bruce in in uh, a sexual context. If I read it right, that I just thought was totally inappropriate. I think some other moments were in a character, uh, just very self centered. And this was not the Tim Drake character that I was accustomed to reading. And I'm very glad you mentioned it. Yeah, he seemed like okay. Uh, we need a Robin. Who's Robin now? Oh, Tim. Okay. You know, put him in there. Just not a strong character in and of himself. Not Tim Drake. Oh, absolutely not. Not the, not the one that I'm certainly accustomed to. And I'm, I'm really, that was a great catch. And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's one thing I didn't have in my notes. Yeah. So what do you think in terms of how would you kind of rank this? How would you kind of rate this? Well, Jerry, my initial score on this was. Like I said earlier, I, I, I think I enjoyed it much more back when this initially came out. But when I reread it for the podcast, I, I went with two and a half. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I had to do a subsequent reading. I changed my score to three out of five. But now I'm, I'm going to go back down to two and a half again. Okay. I'll, I'll grant you that this story may be the uh, end-all, be-all for a particular Batman fan. But... I don't think I'm that fan. I don't care for it as much as I initially did. Um, to compare this to a movie, it's like the train spotting of a Batman <laughs> story. I mean, this is just about as dark as and, and gritty as it can get. Uh, uh, would I? Is it required Batman reading? I think it is. It is worthy of a read. Marginally, this is something I. Uh, some fans may enjoy much more than another fan per se, just based on the. Uh, uh, violence and, and and the luridness that we see here. Uh, this this is not for everybody. This is for somebody who will really enjoy it. I, I, I I'm not one of those people. I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, but I, I'm going to have to stick with two two and a half out of five for me. Yeah, you know, I was thinking originally that I was going to give it three. I was thinking had I read it again, I would appreciate it more. But it's dark for the sake of being dark and there are big holes in the detective story, there are big holes in the bad guy, there's no real connection to the bad guy. I agree with you. I think that this is probably for the right kind of reader kind of a must read story. It's it's a big sprawling slice of kind of dirty Gotham life. So if that's the kind of story you like, I think this would be a great one for you but I'm going to downgrade it like you, I think two and a half is uh, what I'm going to give it as well. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for your comments. So thank you everyone for listening. That's all we have for today. And I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, please uh, go in and leave us some more comments. So we know what you liked and what we can do better. 
Now, at the time of this recording, we've just released episode 150. So go back, go back and check out the discussion on that podcast. We talk about Secret Six and also how well-informed uh, my pod partner, Chris, here. Uh, hey, stop, stop. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get a swelled head here. It's true. It's true. Uh, thanks, John and Ian, for your kind words. We really appreciate it. You both are uh, people we res- uh, Chris and I both respect quite Yeah, Yeah, well. that was really nice. I didn't think we'd get comments initially. I was very pleasantly surprised that as soon as the podcast dropped that there was already – not even within a whole business day, there was already comments waiting there for us, and I, I that floored me beyond belief. I, you know, um, for what little feedback uh, a reviewer gets for writing a review that Jerry does on the TBU website, or for what I do over on uh, Backroll to Oracle with Bayman sixty six, you know, you just wonder if anybody's listening or what the, what they take of your spin on things, and yeah. to, to get feedback is enormous and huge. So I know. We're both very grateful. We sure are. So please, you know, we we love hearing your comments, even if we disagree, even if you're a, a new listener, new reader, uh, want to say, ha- ask questions, anything, please um, you know, join the discussion. We'd love to hear from you. So join us next time. We're going to be covering Batman City of Light. And uh, Chris and I both hope that you join us then. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now, and thank you for tuning in to Bat Books for Beginners.